Hey, I just got a call from some crazy blankety blank claiming he found a real live dead alien body. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 70 for the week of February 13th, 2012. Oxbow plot twist, David T. Cole, and I'm here with Old Man River, Joe Reed. Just keep rolling. And watery tart Tara area. <laughs> that backfired. <laughs> you made me miss my unducking cue. I was laughing so much. Uh, welcome, everybody. Today Hi. we are talking about the river. The river. The uh, river is a story for the search of the Jacques Cousteau-esque slash TV host Emmett Cole, no relation, mm-hmm. who uh, disappears under mysterious circumstances. Yeah, there's no discussion in the pilot episode about presumably what was an earlier search for the second T in the name Emmett, because it's missing also. <laughs> exactly. So the gist is... Um, his family and some former uh, crew members assemble an expedition, but they uh, soon run into some supernatural roadblocks. Sure, they do. In the uh, deep, deep Amazon. And yeah. I think this uh, clip sets up the scene pretty well. I'm afraid I have bad news. My spectral <laughs> chart indicates spirit activity in your immediate area. In fact, I believe there are ghosts aboard your very ship. So we can't let Scooby hear this, it'll upset him. <laughs> Upset him! It's upsetting me! Then stay here and keep an eye on Scooby. We'll check out Vincent's ghost report. And that's the river. Wow. That that admittedly was a pretty good part of that, that episode. That was good. I like so. that part. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, I was we were watching this, and I, I kind of thought at the end of this series, we're going to have the... I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Yeah. Um, perhaps not, but... Well, uh, I just... I'm not sure if we're going to get much of anything at the end of this. It really does feel like, and again, I am the, you know, J.J. Abrams style show apologist here, Mm -hmm. where I usually will be the most forgiving for if the big mystery or whatever doesn't shake out according to these iron set rules. This just really, I've never seen a show more where I was more convinced that like there's nothing at the center of this. There's just a big, big void of nothing. Well, the 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 premiere of the show was the first two episodes of the series, and it's a short run. I think it's like eight eight episodes or something. Short, but it just seemed like a collection of sort of spooky vignettes. You know, like it was it was it 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 really didn't hold together too well. Yeah, and there was almost sort of like you know when you're playing a a role playing game on the computer. Yeah, there's these things called side quests, which are outside the main narrative yeah so if your guy has to save the queen at some point you may go on a side quest to fetch a jewel to give to the shopkeeper so he'll give you the sword of enchantment so you can kill the dragon yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. there's this there's these things in that in this show like there's this whole oh hang on a second (laughs) spoiler to ho fun ahoy there's this whole 
side thing where like there's this doll tree and there's like this dead girl and the dead girl's a legend in the Amazon and the dead girl takes the mother and then they have to basically figure out a way to swap places so that blah, 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 the mother will be returned to them. And it was just basically some filler material. Yes. And it was exactly like a side quest in an RPG. Well, and it does feel like that that's going to be the necessity for the show to sort of get to the point where you get a whole season out of one task essentially that the entire show's concept is one task and the problem is that unlike with for example a movie like the others which is also has supernatural elements like those are pretty straightforward and everyone kind of understands theoretically how the idea of ghosts work right yeah whereas like you know as you guys have said like they they just can make in this case they can make up stuff as they go along there's a fake tribe Mm-hmm. That's doing this fake magic, right? That's that you know any anything could and potentially come under the umbrella of right. what might work. I mean, when they when they dig up the the bones of this this legend girl's mother mm-hmm. and then drop them in the pond, it's sort of like. Well, that works, I guess. Okay, <laughs> yeah. like there's no build up to like why would that work? Like yeah. there's not there's not enough explanation of like what are the rules in this universe? Well, yeah, and I generally do appreciate when a show is just like, look, we're just dealing with magic and decides not to try and sure, totally. make it be like science and like make the science hold up. Absolutely. But there still has to be parameters. Exactly. Yeah. And there there needs to it needs to have its own internal logic, whether yeah. it's real world logic right. or not. There doesn't seem to be well-defined sort of borders around the universe that they're in and yeah and ultimately my you know the the reason that although i you know i was i I was interested in it from the first second because it started with the the great like old time it's hard to get very excited the 80s credits for his (laughs) yeah the the emmett shades of the hanso foundation uh you know i'm into that uh, yeah what are the the documentary sort of you know training uh, films training films thank you right but when you lost me is where it's like well he shouldn't be doing this stuff anyway. So yeah. it's probably just for the best that he got whatever happened right. to yeah, him. Yeah, and maybe kidnapped the, or the, the, possessed or the drowned. Steve Irwin caveat, yeah. And exactly. Maybe, and the rest of his family shouldn't go after him either because right. why why compound whatever offense he's done to the gods or whatever? Right. And especially when they find the footage of him like participating in some kind of ceremony and drinking yeah. some kind of blah, and then you see the coffin is like, wow, you're too, now you're, you just fucked yourself. Yeah. Like, I don't care what happened to you now. You're too stupid. Right. And in early in the show, the son sort of takes that position where it's like, look, yeah. he's gone. And even when they eventually get to the Amazon, they see this. It's like, okay, like, like this is kind of effed up. Let's just yeah. cut our losses and let's go. But then even within that narrative, the sun will like turn on a dime. Yeah. And suddenly, like literally five seconds later, it's like, let's go into the deepest, darkest right. Amazon jungle and let's find X right. clue. Right. And it just like, it, it it's so weird. And yeah. it just seems like, again, they built this show on a series of, little set pieces Mm -hmm. and they sort of had a scare list that they wanted to tackle and there's just sort of like loosely tying you know uh, the you know or connecting the dots between their their little set well and the documentary structure of it sort of feels that way too where it's just like well we're doing it in a documentary style why well because we are like because we wanted to do a show because they did paranormal activity and that's their thing right but like the last time there was a translation of a very successful despite all the odds found footage movie yeah by the same creators g- trying to break into tv yeah it was the blair witch project creators and the show was freaky links and oh, it's, lost, it's lost to history it and is. justly wow. so and you n- haven't even thought about it until i said no. it no i haven't in 10 years i never yeah everybody listening to this is like oh yeah freaky links except kim because she recapped it what network was that even fox on? was it fox <clears throat> yeah Crazy. it was on fox 
Was that one of those Ethan Embry shows that he was on, like a string of failed shows? Uh, maybe. Okay. I don't even remember. I don't think I watched a second yeah, of it. I certainly didn't, yeah. And what a waste of, of Bruce uh, Greenwood, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, the cast is really good. I really like Bruce Greenwood. I really like Leslie Hope a lot, and she deserves to have a television series that works. Yeah. Um, I like the guy who plays The Sun. He's been in a lot of things recently that I really liked. He was in The Grey. He was in The Crazies. He was, uh, he was in The... Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was in The Crazies. Yeah, he was really good in The Crazies. Um, Thomas Kretschmann, I always like in things, and he doesn't really get a lot to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that guy who plays the documentary film producer, I've Paul seen Paul Blackthorne. Things. Yeah, where have I seen him? Medium. Oh, uh, maybe. Other things. Yeah, probably other things. He's been a lot. He has been a lot. So, Bruce Greenwood yes. is the um, missing naturalist TV show host in, uh-huh. the, in this. And some of his backstory is told with um, old footage of his TV show. Yeah. You know, stuff that was on the cutting room floor, stuff that aired. And there's this one scene, he's talking to his son. His son's like seven or eight, and he's like... I was in such and such place and I went to the top of the mountain. At the top of this mountain, there was a very old hermit and the hermit would never die. And the hermit gave me this necklace and said, one day you're going to find the one who deserves this necklace and the person who deserves this necklace will, whatever, save the universe, save the world. Um, It is your task to find this person. It is not your uh, task to know any more than that. Oh yeah, okay, sure. (laughs) Sounds good. Um, you know, um, here's here's a pro tip for all the uh, adventurers <laughs> out there. Why not ask for more details? Wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Or maybe just say no. That sounds kind of crazy. Yeah. I feel like there are the if you're looking for virtues in the show at all, I feel like the style of it with a better, more like cared for story might work. The part where there they come upon the monkey with the doll's head yeah. that at first it looks like a child's head is just floating in the air that was a really well like yeah. creative and spooky scene yeah. it doesn't serve anything so you can't really feel very satisfied by it but like though if you know if you're looking for like what can we build on from this and like, again it just seems like, like they're they're using scary lego blocks to make something right. but they're yeah. not really like the other thing was for some reason in this universe the way that you um spectrally project yourself is to have people swallow dragonflies yes that is true um you know which is um laborious and i also (laughs) thought that like usually and sometimes this is tedious in movies like this where like the process from going from being rational thinking you know residents of the world that we know Mm -hmm. to crossing over to believing the insane things that you're seeing and we can talk about that a little bit in x files when we talk about x files but like it didn't feel like there was any barrier at all with this. Yes. You know what I mean? With any of the characters. You mentioned with with the son, but I felt like even with like Leslie Hope's character, she wants to find her husband, and so she's already like she wants to believe this, but there still doesn't seem to be like she sees this girl channeling her husband with her husband's voice, and she's there's not even a moment of like I can't believe I'm seeing yeah. this. And nobody, like, nobody else goes through I this. I mean, it's, not to fan wink it, because yeah. that was nonsense. But the fact that that happened in the middle of the night made me sort of think, mm. she might think she it, there's something dreamlike about it, that, where you, yeah. you might just you not even necessarily know you're awake. Sure. But, but ultimately, what you're talking about is like, this is it's similar to what we talked about when we discussed American Horror Story, which is my mm-hmm. problem with, hor- with a horror TV series, yeah. which is... 
in a movie, you can accept, okay, freaky shit is happening over a span of four days. Yeah. And so maybe you're going to roll with it because you're not totally sure what's going on. Yeah. But then at the end of it, you're like, well, we have to move or whatever. Like whatever, <laughs> whatever ends up being the resolution. Yeah. Whereas in a TV show, you just have to keep like playing out the string to such an absurd degree where it's like, why, you know, in eight episodes, is anyone, is it going to make sense to anyone still watching right. that they're still there yeah that they haven't just been like well clearly something is trying to stop us and maybe we should listen rather than right you know well and then and then you have to plan for an open-ended because you have to plan for your own success right and that's why i I don't think they need to plan for that i don't think so either but yeah um but it's just again it's maybe a cool idea for a movie right i don't understand certainly not on a network how you think you're going to be able to pull something and like i was that bummed off. because i really liked paranormal activity me too it was one of the worst movie going experiences yeah, of my it's life a bummer to hear. but even so it was like yeah. it worked enough on me that yeah and i think the reason is because it was such a, sm- a smaller canvas mm-hmm. like in this case i think they they got a little too ambitious yeah they and they widened the scope of what they were trying to do to the detriment of the story and to their own storytelling abilities right because it's like if you if you are telling a haunted house story yeah let's stay in the house yeah let's have things happen at night yeah set up a camera and track what's happens like that all makes sense yeah whereas this is just a lot of nonsense well and i'd also feel like this is diminishing returns on sort of first person found footage stuff where it's like there doesn't seem to be just a whole lot like it makes sense in the movie in the show it doesn't really like you understand well they have to film it because that's how they're getting funding for the expedition fine sure but i don't understand what it adds to this story that we're watching Mm -hmm. where like the movie i saw today when i saw chronicle like there's a lot less of rational sense making a lot of times and why you're seeing what you're seeing but the story's good enough that it makes you not care as much and i feel like the river is the exact inverse Mm -hmm. like wow you really like you know you built in a whole lot of ironclad reasons why we're seeing everything filmed documentary style but ultimately what are we getting out of it right i don't think we get anything out of it i have a couple uh smaller notes um there's a character in the show called clark quietly yeah (laughs) that's the paul blackthorne guy yeah um that happened that made its way from brain to screenplay to television any number of rounds of network notes (laughs) and the other thing i have is the debut of david t cole funk You have the right to remain tightly kerned. Dippity cold font cop. That's font cop, not funk cop, as the music might suggest. (laughs) David T. Cole font cop is on the case. Um, There is a scene where they're going through a old, centuries old graveyard in Mm -hmm. the middle of the Amazon basin. And they come across the grave of the um, lost child character we were talking about earlier whose gravestone is much cleaner and and pristinely kept as all the other graves in the, the cemetery. The pop on the screen. Yeah, but here's the thing, is that the gravestone is set in a font that was commercially available starting in the 90s called Trajan, and it is based, given it is based on sort of the lettering used in on Roman uh, monuments uh-huh. and uh, buildings yeah. back in the day of the Roman Empire, but uh, never really used on gravestones, so it was one of those old fonts that shouldn't be here today um (laughs) do you really hope somebody got fired for making that blunder no only i i'm sure i and probably four other uh font (laughs) nerds noticed it but it uh it did bother me sure and uh so that is david t cole font cop uh so the river um 
I thought when we started the river that it had potential because it started right away with the whole, you know, setting up the scene through mm-hmm. the old TV show, which was, it's a nice gimmick and, it, yeah. and it, it, it's gimmicky, but it works. Um, by the end of it, I wasn't really into it, but at the start I thought this is, seems like the kind of show that might be worthy of a, put it on the back burner, mm-hmm. get consensus at the end of the season, if it was worth it, yeah. Yeah. then go watch it. Mm-hmm. In, but yeah. I can't see even that in happening In terms of now. watching strategy. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I mean, we, we hadn't even gotten to like the midpoint of the, the two hour airing as you said it was two back to back we hadn't even gotten to the end of the first one i was like get on with it like it's so slow yeah yes very frustrating but that's how i'm choosing to uh to consume or not consume luck Uh, is i'm waiting till the end of the first season i'm sort of although it's tougher with hbo's to tell whether you can trust mm -hmm. the recommendations for it because a lot of shows on hbo it's just like well it's hbo stick with it and it's just like okay I'm maybe not gonna. Yeah, you know, no, I understand. Jump that. on board for this. That happened Again, to me really with like HBO Milch, stuff a lot. Yeah, yeah. Nothing about that show appeals to me. So why I sort of had this epiphany of just like nothing about this appeals to you. Why would you even consider watching? Oh my god, like, Joe! Let other people watch it. That's a huge, a huge step. leap for you. It's a big step. Wow! Yeah. Congratulations! Congratulations, Joe! Thank you. <laughs> All right, it's time for the canon, and we have a listener submission this week. Let's get right to it. This is Jen, and I have a submission for the canon. I'd like to submit X-Files, Season 3, Episode 20, Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Jose Chung is an author played by Charles Nelson Riley, who is interviewing Scully for a book he's writing about one of the X-Files cases. Almost the entire episode is made up of flashbacks from Scully's point of view as she talks about the story. Then there are flashbacks within flashbacks as she recounts the stories that people have told her during the investigation. A lot happens in this episode, so I'm not going to try to recap it. I will say that the story that Scully tells is about two teenagers who claim to have been abducted by aliens, but their stories do not match up. There are other witnesses, but their memories really only muddy the water. It's clear that something happened to these kids, but what could it have been? At the end of the episode, we've learned a lot, but we feel like we understand less than we did than at the beginning. Early in the episode, Scully asks Chung if he's attempting to tell the truth. Oh, just as long as you're attempting to record the truth. God, no, how can I possibly do that? What do you mean? I spent three months in Class County, and everybody there has a different version of what truly happened. Truth is as subjective as reality. That is the theme of this episode. Every character has an agenda, or is lying, or is crazy, or has been subverted in some way. And when you put their stories together, they don't add up. Scully and Mulder are even mistaken for Men in Black by one character, who is totally sincere and certain about this, but also totally wrong. The truth is impossible to know. And I should have known to just go get my video camera then, instead of notifying the proper authorities. What was wrong with doing that? Because the proper authority showed up with a couple of men in black. One of them was disguised as a woman, but wasn't pulling it off. Like, her hair was red, but it was a little too red, you know? And the other one, the tall, lanky one, his face was so blank and expressionless, he didn't even seem human. The episode's nested flashbacks are really successful in reinforcing this uncertainty. For instance, 
a character named Rocky tells a story about a visit from Men in Black. This story is just nutty. Jesse Ventura comes into his garage and roars at him in a ridiculous way. Even the former leader of your United States of America, James Earl Carter Jr., thought he saw a UFO once. But it's been proven he only saw the planet Venus. I'm a Republican. Venus was at its peak brilliance last night. You probably thought you saw something up in the sky other than Venus. But I assure you, it was Venus. I know. What I saw... Your scientists have yet to discover how neural networks create self-consciousness. Let alone how the human brain processes two-dimensional retinal images into the three-dimensional phenomenon known as perception. Yet you somehow brazenly declare seeing is believing? Mr. Crickinson, your scientific illiteracy makes me shudder. And I wouldn't flaunt your ignorance by telling anyone that you saw anything last night other than the planet Venus. Because if you do, you're a dead man. The reviewer knows that the ridiculousness of this flashback is because Rocky is ridiculous and he's an unreliable narrator. But we also remember that Rocky's story is coming to us through Scully, who doesn't believe him, and who might be exaggerating his story's ridiculousness in order to support her own skeptical point of view. This episode belongs in the canon because it's one of the most paranoid shows the X-Files ever did. It's got all the show's trademark creepiness, it subverts the show's motto, the truth is out there, and it also, paradoxically, is an unusually funny episode of the X-Files. I think the X-Files is a show that, increasingly as the seasons went on, took itself a little too seriously. This one has a light touch. Um, Charles Nelson Riley is very funny, um, very gay without actually being campy. I had never thought much about it before. I guess that's because I always felt like such an alien myself, that to be concerned with aliens from other planets, that just seems so uh, redundant. Gillian Anderson portrays Scully as the only sane person in a sea of craziness, and she's very funny as she rolls out this array of skeptical bitch faces. Um, there's a running gag about a sheriff who says things like, You bet your blankety-blank bleep I am. This reminds us that it's Scully recounting the story and maybe changing things as she goes along, so even the running jokes reinforce the theme. Um, in short, I think that this episode is smart. It's funny, but it still retains the overriding paranoia that The X-Files is all about. Gillian Anderson is particularly good. Um, I like all the casting. I like the strong tension between Mulder's belief in the paranoial, paranormal and Scully's skepticism. The show ends on an uncertain note that suggests that not only did Mulder and Scully's investigation have no resolution, but we're not even sure if we can trust them. What can I do for you, Agent Mulder? Don't write this book. You'll perform a disservice to a field of inquiry that has always struggled for respectability. You're a gifted writer, but no amount of talent could describe the events that occurred in any realistic vein because they deal with alternative realities that we're yet to comprehend. And when presented in the wrong way, in the wrong context, the incidents and the people involved in them can appear foolish. 
if not downright psychotic. I also know that your publishing house is owned by Warden White Incorporated, a subsidiary of McDougal Kessler, which makes me suspect a covert agenda for your book on the part of the military-industrial entertainment complex. Agent Mulder, this book will be written, but it can only benefit if you can explain something to me. What's that? What really happened to those kids on that night? How the hell should I know? I hope you will consider Jose Chun's From Outer Space for admission into the canon. Thank you. Thank you, Jen, uh, for the submission. So it's funny, when I listened to it um, before rewatching the episode, listened to her submission, I sort of thought, well, it's kind of... She seems to spiral. She like repeats herself, and then I, when you watch it, it's like, oh, that's what the episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's no, there's really no other way to to kind of describe what's going right. on. And I'm not going to try and do a full plot Mm-mm. recap because by this point, if you haven't seen this season three episode of the X Files, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to because it's if a pretty famous one. Yeah, it's it's a funny Rashomani take about alien abduction and right. sort of perception. And nothing is quite what it seems. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I do like that capper on the end that she that she talks about where it's like a conspiracy, another conspiracy on top of all the other conspiracies of the you know the the supposed journalist. Yeah. maybe also being compromised on top of everything else. Yeah. And, you know, the part we couldn't clip, of course, was the bit where um, Mulder is masturbating to <laughs> Bigfoot big footage. Foot footage. <laughs> <laughs> I love that weird tick of, of, of that they insert every once in a while about Mulder. He's always, once in a while, he's caught watching the scrambled porn or something. Right, well, like the, I mean, the other big one is from, from the similar episode, Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose with um, Peter Boyle. Oh, where right. he, he can see the future. Mm-hmm. He can see how people die, I think. Yes. Yeah. And then he, he says, well, I don't want to say anything, but autoerotic asphyxiation is a tough way to go, <laughs> apparently. And now that we know what we know about David yeah. Duchovny, it's like, oh, that's more plausible yeah. than we might have realized yeah. at the time. This had, this had a couple different jabs. At Duch- like the one about, you know, he was so expressionless and he was probably yes. an automaton. <laughs> uh, yes. Speaking of expressionless, I have, I have one extra clip, not, not, not in our rundown, that I think proves that and also proves proves Futurama's uh, contention that David Duchovny is one of uh, history's great robot thespians, mm-hmm. uh, which is this uh, line reading of the episode. Would you be willing to take a lie detector test to prove that you raped her? No, I'm not. Well, that's too bad, because the next rape you experience will probably be your own in prison. <laughs> Clunk. <laughs> There's also the moment where he describes Mulder's reaction to seeing the real live alien dead body, which is the ah! yeah the girl yes, the girly scream. Right, the girly <laughs> scream. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Good clipping. Um. So yeah, I mean, I you know, I I remember this as being in the pantheon of great um, X Files episodes. Obviously, we talked about Home. Yep. A, a, a little bit ago. So far, the submitters for for my money are submitting them in the order of my preference. So we'll see how that holds up. <laughs> throughout time hmm. yeah. this is my number two really yep see i i had in my mind i had ranked it higher than I, now re-watching it i think i would put it ahead of home no 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 oh, okay. nothing's ahead of home oh, but okay. i'm saying like i don't know that i i don't know that it would be canon for me uh-huh. because I, I i mean i think that at the t- at the maybe i need to do the joe thing and project myself back into you know the tar that saw it the first time and yeah. re- and and rem- and remember a time when this I- this idea of you know obviously 
the X-Files didn't re- invent this Rashomon technique of storytelling because yeah. Rashomon did. But but just the, you know, the idea of a of a, telling a story from so many points of view and, and it only gradually becomes clear which one is true or maybe none is true, yeah. I feel like is not, but the not reason, as effective now. As mm, see, I think the reason why it fits the X-Files so much better than it does fit, say, when every sitcom that runs more than five seasons does it yeah. is that having a story told from so many perspectives plays into the whole paranoia and conspiracy theories yeah, of the X-Files. And it really, it, 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 it's almost like it's native land as far as storytelling goes. Yeah. Right. It makes complete sense. And, you know, well, the, and the also genif- into an FBI investigation where you're sort of, yeah. you're taking testimony that's been given to local authorities. That's been, you know, there's a lot of levels in that too. So it's, and it does fit better than most. I do. There is a, definite Rashomon fatigue that I feel like but I I also will say that I mean this is more effective this is this this is the exact opposite of what my experience with the river in terms of like the rules of your world Mm -hmm. yeah because at least here even though it's sending up the idea of like you know these stories are so close to what you read in the alien abduction literature that it seems like they've been coached or right that you know, at least this is it, the idea is taking these tropes that we all recognize and sort of twisting them in an interesting way. Yeah, yeah. Um, the genesis of this episode was uh, what's the guy's name that's also involved in the river, Glenn Morgan. Yeah, so he basically was trying to tell a story about he got interested in hypnosis and how it well, he didn't of, write this episode, no, but um, uh. Right, but the the writer. I'm sorry, Chris uh, Carter wrote it with Darren. Wrote this episode with Darren Morgan. Darren Darren Morgan. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. Okay. Um, sort of had this idea that he that he wanted to build a story around the the hypnosis and how you know false memories and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And you know paired it up with the alien abduction motif, mm-hmm. and this is what you get out of it. And I think that he picked the right way to, to tell the story because. Um, you know, you can't really know the truth. You know, it's say like even in a courtroom, you know, in a courtroom setting right. where you got all these people and they have, mm-hmm. you know, um, these memories. Um, we all know that eyewitness testimony is poor at best. Yes. And so I think the way they tackled it, the structure works really well for the idea that in the X-Files universe, Mulder believes everything is happening, but there's all these people that are out to scramble the truth. Yeah. Right. And, I think that they they nailed it on this one. I, I I think the Rashomon stuff. I get that everybody's done it, but I don't think anybody's done it as fittingly as X Files. Yeah. This one, uh, I've talked before. I think about my spotty X Files watchings back in the days, where yeah. I never really watched it for a continued amount of time. I was sort of in and out, and then I've seen reruns in and out. So I really my uh, sense of placement within the season sometimes isn't the best uh so i'd never seen this one even though i knew that this was one of the more acclaimed episodes watching it it's definitely one of the you get that feeling of like the x-files you know style very stylized x-files episode which they would do from time to time um and i liked the fact that Jillian Anderson got to play Scully sort of stepping back and looking at the X-Files universe. That was fun every once in a while when they would do that. And she would sort of be even more incredulous as she is those, the, the Jen mentions a lot of her, just like those sort of cutaway reaction shots after the one hypnosis session where she sort of looks and she cocks her head at Mulder, like you leave the shit. Like, Mm -hmm. and then all of her scenes with, with Jose Chung are really, really, uh, 
kind of fascinatingly uh, person, like her personality all of a sudden exists in a way that for a lot of times where Scully was sort of like the skeptic or whatever. And Charles Nelson Riley's fantastic in this. He's he really good. like, that's really great casting in terms of, you know, you know that this episode is just going to be a, a series of stories told. And so you got it with like Jesse Ventura and like, you get these really, these personalities that really pop. And the scene, the part where, Scully mentions how she woke up in the hotel room and Mulder was in the room and he just sort of gives her, I don't even know if he says anything beyond just like a hmm, but it's very like appropriate reaction coming from Charles Nelson Riley. Um, I think if we're talking about the pantheon of X-Files stylized episodes, I put this behind my favorite X-Files episode, which is the black and white episode uh, with Jay Peterman from Seinfeld in it, where he plays like the Frankenstein doctor. Uh-huh. Um, that's That one I really love, but this is a good close second. And I think, Dave, what you mentioned about just how tight the structure is and what they are able to accomplish in terms of just the levels of storytelling and perception and the fact that they stylized it so much in this style of a style I'm not really familiar with, which is like old adventure, like yeah. sci-fi novels, that kind of thing. But like you get the Harry who's a yeah, you like monster yeah. and that kind of thing. Lord, uh, Lord Kinboat. Yeah. Kinboat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, a, it's an episode that has a lot of fun, but still manages to have a really tight grip on. Yeah. Like the levels of story and the levels of like what it's telling you about perception. Yeah, like and I was that. thinking about you know our our first X Files submission home, um, and then this one, and to think that they're both part of the same series and they yeah. both have such a different feel yeah. and approach to them. Yeah, but they both are sort of well to me, anyways. They're they're very solid entries. Yeah, and just reminds me of the show today that does that, which yeah. is in the same universe which is breaking bad where you can have a sh- an episode that is really tense and dramatic but then you can have episodes with levity that work equally as well yeah. and uh, tell a good story i would be very very interested to see the fate of an epi- somebody who would present an x-files episode within the conspiracy narrative because mm-hmm. the two episodes now that we've seen exist completely outside yeah. of that conspiracy narrative yeah. and i know that that was the part that really like the wheels came off the train at that point but like there was a while there where it worked and i'd be i'd be very curious to see whether one of those older episodes that worked then could possibly work yeah that would be interesting off the top of my head i can't think of one because all the ones i remember a few few season finales where you know they would save reveals for uh, for cliffhangers right a couple that were probably that were good yeah yeah um a couple just um, little moments that I really enjoyed. Uh, David Duchovny, oh, sorry, uh, Fox Mulder, um, oh. eating a uh, whole pie's worth of clues at uh, a diner as he's uh, <laughs> sleuthing for this and that. Every question cost him a slice of pie. I thought it was a great little scene. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, the Men in Black, I thought was really well done. Yeah, the Trebek reveal was really funny. Because I really Kevin- enjoyed Rocky, too. The, the oh, actor yeah. who's in uh, on Sons of Motorcycle America. Rape Club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also in something else we saw recently. Oh, yeah? Oh, shoot. Oh, he was. He was in uh, that Contraband movie. That's right, yeah. He was Mark Wahlberg's That's dad, right. I guess? Yep. Yeah. Um, he, he, he's, he's spot on, too. I really Yeah, he's him. really, really funny and very different than what he is in... Uh, and also the way Jesse Ventura just constantly says, Venus. Oh, and, is- <laughs> well, and what we now know about what a conspiracy yeah. that Jesse Ventura is really it's does that turned him. It's what turned him. Probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I, I don't know. It, it's 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 my number two episode, and again, it's such to, it's, it's it's such a different 
episode than home that I, I almost feel guilty saying it's number two versus number one. But I do think yeah. home is still my number one. That's the one thing I say. If you got to watch one, watch this one. Yeah. But, you know, if you had to, like, say, look, the X-Files has many moods. Yeah. And this is my number one of the lighter X-Files. Yeah, yeah, As yeah. she says, it has a light touch and it does. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's put this to a vote, shall we? Sure. Okay. Uh, Tara? You know what? You talked me into it. Yeah. <laughs> you say yay. All right. Joe? <laughs> yes. And I say yes, too. <laughs> X-Files, Jose Chung's From Outer Space. You are hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Canon. Americans love a winner. Yup. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It's time for Winner and Loser of the Week. And Tara, who is our winner? Our winner is The Rock, for all the obvious reasons. But also (laughs) because um, he's been promoting... uh, Journey to the Mysterious Island, right. his new Journey to the Center of the Earth movie, yep. which none of us are going to see. But that's not the point. He, uh, oh, Dave is going to no, see I'm it. <laughs> Only for Michael Caine, of course. <laughs> Only for Vanessa Hudgens, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, so he he gave an interview where he was asked um, if if anyone even remembers this. It's kind of a footnote to history. How he was the first person to tweet that the president was about to announce that Osama bin Laden had been killed. Was he oh, really? Right. Yes. And so he wouldn't say how he knew it, because why would you? Right. But in the course of the interview, he also said he would consider running for public office. And I think that would be wonderful for this country. He's going to be great for the G.I. Joe franchise. He is going to be great for the (laughs) G.I. Joe franchise. He could be great for this country. Wow. That's uh, all I have to say. Joe, That's uh, your first political endorsement from Extra Hot Great. <laughs> making making that better was the uh, the little extra he gave on that, which he says, yeah, I have friends in very high places and very low places. He did. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. So it's not clear if he was friends with someone on SEAL Team 6 or with one of Osama bin Laden's wives. That's right. Could be one or the other. Good on you, Rock. All right. Loser of the week is uh, networks such as Spike, TNT, and the Christian Broadcasting Network for dropping the ball and not recognizing the <laughs> terrible brilliance of the apocalyptic diner fight movie Legion. Mm. And they were beaten to the punch by our favorite sci-fi network, Siffy, who is developing a TV show based on the movie Legion, which we have covered in depth on this podcast. Nobody else likes it. I think it is a great, bad movie filled with all the things I love. Corny dialogue, angels fighting for some reason, uh, spider grandmas. Um, I think maybe each week in this new TV show, uh, Gabriel and Michael meet up and they just find a new diner each week to fight in for a while. I'd <laughs> so be happy with that. So it's kind of a cross of diners, drive-ins, and dives and, uh, and a monster angel movie. Exactly. All right. I'd watch it. All right, guys, you know what time it is? Game time. It's game time. All right, everybody, this is the sixth game time of the season. And Joe, you have three points. I do. And Tara is trailing with two. Today, we are playing Sweat the Details from Matthew Romando. I'm going to play Great. 28. <laughs> Games are always so hard. Uh, this one, I think you guys are not going to have too much trouble with, but it's okay. going to be the, the one or two you miss that's yeah. going to make the difference. Oh, God, pressure. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to play 28 sh- uh, short noises mm. from TV shows. The first to give me the name of the show the clip is from gets the point. For example, for example. On order. 
Okay. Yeah. First to say Law and Order would have got that point. I have 28 of these. Are we ready to play Sweat the Details? Yep. Yes. Here we go. Hilarious House of Frankenstein? I have no idea. That was Press Your Luck. Oh! You just got the whammy. That was the whammy sound. Here we go. Number two. Batman. Correct. 1960s Batman. One point for Joe. Twilight Zone. Lost in Space. Tara? Bewitched. Star Trek, guys. Transporter. Yikes. Here we go. Transformers. Frisky Dingo. Family Matters. Oh, yeah. Kirby Enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. It's 24. Ah. Shit. That was 24. 60 minutes. All right. Score break quickly, please. I have four. Enter. All right. Droids? Ewoks? <laughs> wow, I have no idea. It's Pee Wee's Playhouse! Uh, <laughs> Brown. Charlie Brown peanut specials. Oh. Simpsons. Mm. What? Oh. That's not the oh. Simpsons. Oh God. What is it? Oh. Sesame Street? Everybody loves Raymond. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Simpsons. Simpsons. Joe got that one. Be Bewitched. Target. Target got that one. Hey. Happy days. Ah. Happy days is correct. Uh. Oh, the Jeopardy. You're feeling very sleepy. Very X-Files? relaxed. Alex Trebek? Ah. The game show host? That was just a little <laughs> No, this is for funsies. <laughs> Dinosaurs. <laughs> I could just play this all day long. Joe, got a. I mean, Futurama. I don't know. Everybody farts. <laughs> Is that supposed to be Monty Python? <laughs> yep. Ish. Oh, the Close. foot. That's the foot. foot. Yeah. Oh, okay. The count. Sesame Street. Yeah. Correct. All right, let's get a score break here, guys. I have seven. I have six. Beavis and Butthead. Tara with Beavis and Butthead. I love Lucy. What was that? Sorry, just confirm. I, I love Lucy. Correct. Yeah. I love Lucy was correct. All right, we're getting towards the end. We have eight questions left. Oh, my God. Oh. It's Kramer. Yeah, Seinfeld. Seinfeld. <laughs> Tara with Kramer and yeah. Seinfeld. All right. Oh, my God. Wait, a $6 million man. Correct. 
Jeopardy. No, Price is Right. Price is Right is correct. Jeopardy was incorrect. Oh, Carol Burnett? Zena. Star Galactica. Oh. That was the Cylon. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, uh, uh. Home improvement. Yeah. yeah. All right. There's two questions left. What's the. What's. what's I have score? 11. And Tara? I have nine. Well, you can force a tie. Here we go. Uh, oh. Uh, uh. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop doing that. Definition? Wheel of Fortune? No. What is it? Supp- it's Is that Jeopardy also? <laughs> Nobody can get it. Oh my god, what the fuck? Family feud! Yes! Yes! It's too bad. Feud. Too bad all the listeners couldn't be here oh to watch god. this one because that was the most lean forwardy looking to the ceiling, praying to God moment I've seen in game time in oh a while. Oh my god, it was okay. right there. That's, it makes it ten for Tara. 11 for Joe. Here's our last one. Oh, my God. Duke what for Hazard? Yes. Correct. Duke for Hazard. That means we oh have a tie, God. which means here we go with our tiebreaker. First to shout out the answer wins this game time. Here we go. Wheel of Fortune. Correct. Wheel of Jack Fortune. Joe, congratulations, Joe. Thank you. (laughs) Down to the wire. (laughs) That's it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We took a spooky trip down the river, and Jen brought us the beloved X-Files episode, Jose Chung's From Outer Space, which was inducted into the canon. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Joe was the winner of this week's game time. Thanks again to Jen and Matt for their submissions this week. You both... Get an extra credit redeemable for an extra hot great mini topic of your choosing. Check your inbox for details. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we're on our site at extrahotgreat.com. Let us know what you think there. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole on behalf of Tara Ariano. Joe Reed. The planet Venus. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you right here next time on Extra Hot Great. Yeah, that's a bleeping dead alien body if I ever bleep and saw one. Wrap it up. <laughs>